0: is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from back in Connecticut is Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. And Taylor Schwink is so excited about today's podcast. Taylor, would you agree with that? Because we got one of your guys as a guest.
1: Oh yeah, Ben McDonald, friend of the pod, has been on the pod before, but I don't think since the Orioles have, uh, you know, been so successful on the field. We got to, I got to meet him, you know, thanks to you in the in the booth after the game at Camden Yards. But a real treat to have him on, and I think I think he's going to have some good stuff to say. I think the listeners are going to like this interview.
0: Well, and look, we're obviously going to ask about the Orioles, who look like they have a chance to have the best record in the American League. They're leading in that right now. They might win 100 games, but you have questions about critters. Like you mm-hmm. sent over mm-hmm. your list of questions you want me to ask him, <laughs> and right off the top, it's uh, what? What's the what's the uh, the most dangerous animal that you caught with your bare hands, or something like that?
1: Well, he he's awesome on social media media because I think he took some time off and went to Louisiana, posted a picture of himself with a giant poisonous snake, like by the tail. Um, I watched him in a video. It's called a
0: rattlesnake. A by rattle.
1: The way. Well, I don't know if we. Do we know if it was a rattlesnake buster? Yes, we do. I oh. texted with Ben about it. Okay, okay, confirmed. <laughs> but he also I saw a video of him wrangling an armadillo and looked like a like a Sonic parking lot or something, like with his bare hands. It was incredible. So we have to ask him about his uh, his critter adventures.
0: Yeah, we're also going to be talking with Bob Nightingale. Uh, one of the questions I'm going to ask him is, is Mike Trout going to be traded during the course of this offseason? We'll have to uh, we'll have to see about that. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. And the hottest ticket, without a doubt, these days, the Braves and the Phillies, two teams who feel like are destined to face each other in the National League playoffs. Matt Olson reached a milestone in the top of the fourth inning on Tuesday night.
2: Here's the pitch on the way from Wheeler.
0: Now that'll be hit well to left field.
2: Pache back to the wall. This has got a shot, and there is the tying home run for Matt Olson. That is his 51st
0: home run, and he has tied Andrew Jones for the most homers in franchise history. That from 680, the fan. And another guy is hitting a lot of benchmarks this season, went deep in the fifth. There goes the runner. The pitch swung on, belted. That's headed for the upper tank. And off the facing of the second deck, home run Ronald.
3: Braves take a 3-1 lead. And for Ronald, his 37th home run of the year. Yeah, boo that.
0: That <laughs> that was Joe Simpson on 680. The fan boo that. Braves win the game seven to six. The Dodgers and the Padres and Freddie Freeman uh, uh, celebrated a birthday yesterday, and he has a habit of doing something on his birthday. Dodgers one to nothing. We're in the bottom of the third. Walker delivers. There's a fly ball into
3: left center field. It's a long run, and it is gone. Happy birthday to you. Freddie Freeman with his 26th home
1: run of the year goes the other way, and the Dodgers now have a 3-0 lead. That
0: was Charlie Siner, 570 AM, LA Sports. Uh, The final score there was 11-2. The Guardians beat the Giants with help
1: from Tyler Freeman. Walker delivers, and it's swung on line drive, base at center field. This will score two. Nailers across. Right behind him is Fry. He slides in safely. In the third goes Calhoun, and out at second base after a single that drives in two. Tyler Freeman moved up on the throw, and the Guardians take a
0: 3-1 to lead. Jim Rosenhaus and WTAM 1100. That would be the final score, three to one. The Cubs were in Colorado, game two of their series. Pete Craw Armstrong made incredible catches in this game, but in the end, it was an ex Cub who had a decisive hit. One, one to Bryant. And that's hit well, the gap in left center. It's got a chance. It is gone.
2: Chris Bryant, a laser shot to left center field.
1: The former Cub breaks the tie. 5-4, Rockies. Yeah, from
0: 850 KOA, the Rockies win that game 6-4. The Cincinnati Reds trying to catch the Cubs and add the National League wildcard contenders uh, took the lead in the top of the 10th pitch line drive right center field that's a base hit
3: around third is Marte here comes the throw to the plate tag not in
2: time the throw was towards the third base side the catcher went to get it but Marte actually slid past him and just missed the tag and scores and
0: the Reds have a 6-5 lead that from 700 WLW, the Reds would close out the Tigers in the bottom of the 10th inning for the victory. The Brewers playing great these days, and a newcomer got it done in the bottom of the fourth. First pitch to Donaldson. He is a high fly, deep left field. Back goes De La Cruz. Bye-bye baseball. Josh Donaldson, the bringer of rain. Brings it here at American Family Field, and the Brewers have a two to one lead. That from 620 WTMJ, and it being the Brewers, uh, that was all the runs that the Marlins had scored. The final score there was three to one. Bob Nightingale has some strong thoughts about what the Brewers might do in the postseason. The Rays place center fielder Jose Siri on the injured list with a fractured right hand. Another loss of a player for the Tampa Bay Rays who during the course of the season have lost Shane McClanahan, Wander Franco Uh, uh, and yet they just keep on rolling along on Tuesday night though they would lose uh, basically because of a hit in the bottom of the 7th inning for Minnesota stretch and the pitch a swing at a line drive right center field deep this one's got carry back towards the wall that is gone! Home run Willie Castro went down and just golfed that two out pitch for a go-ahead, two-run homer. And the Twins, one swing of the bat, have a 3-2 lead. That from the Treasure Island Baseball Network, the Twins win the game 3-2, and along the way, the Rays lost another player. Yandy Diaz had to leave this game because of an injury. The Rangers face the Blue Jays. Max Scherzer on the mound for Texas, and in the bottom of the sixth inning, he had to come off the field. Mike Maddox is coming off the field. Matt Lucero is coming off the field, and now finally... Max Scherzer is coming off the field. And I couldn't tell from his body language what he was going to do there. Certainly after lifting his leg in what was going to be a warm-up pitch, he shook his head and said no. Yeah, and he told reporters after the game that he's going to have an MRI uh, on his right bicep after experiencing some tightness there. Bruce Bochy told reporters that uh, they just weren't going to let him continue based on how he was feeling. That from 105.3, the fan uh, the Rangers would hold on to win that game, though, beating the Blue Jays 6-3 to and helping them in the American League playoff chase. The Astros playing at home against the Oakland Athletics. We talked earlier, or what was it, last week, about how the Astros have really struggled at home this year. That continued on Tuesday night.
2: Now here's the pitch, and Kemp hits a drive into right, and Tucker's going back on this at the track, leaping at the wall, and it is gone. Tony Kemp is homered. On the first pitch of the fifth inning, a leaping attack by Tucker in right field couldn't bring it back. And the
0: Athletics was taking a 5-1 to one lead. That from the A's cast. The A's will win that game 6-2. to two. The Mariners face the Angels. The Angels completely falling apart down the stretch. And J.P. Crawford finished them off in the bottom of the fourth inning on Tuesday night.
3: The 2-1 pitch on the way to Crawford. swinging a fly ball into the gap. In right center field. Phillips on the run. Reaches out. Kick it to it. And it's on the track. And off the wall and a
2: half. Grant scores. Moore scores. Here comes Haggerty rounding third. He scores. Everybody scores. J.P. Crawford in at second. With a two-out double. Clears the bases.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: So for the Seattle Mariners, an 8-0 win against the Angels. Seattle taking care of business there. And one final news note, David Stearns was hired to run baseball operations for the New York Mets. That's one of the topics I'm going to be talking about coming up with Bob Nightingale of USA Today.
1: Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the college game day podcast, humming along. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen on the app that you're listening to this show right now. We got a good one today. We got Reese uh, off the top by himself. Then we got Bill Connolly. I know I say Reese by himself. That doesn't sound super exciting, but Reese is uh, is a talented broadcaster. And when he goes on these monologues, they're, they're a lot of fun to listen to. So check it out. Picks pod on Friday as well with Stanford, Steve, the college game day podcast.
0: Vivid seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Bob Nightingale covers baseball for USA Today. Bob, how you doing this morning? Yeah, I'm doing great, Buster. Thanks. As you and I are talking, you are standing doing a Zoom call. I can't remember anybody I've ever talked to on a Zoom call since the beginning of the, you know, pandemic who's standing <laughs> doing this. So where how did you land on that?
2: <laughs> just made these so feeling. Uh, Slouched over or something like that. Let me stand up. Be energized. Everything else. So no, I always I always
0: stand up. Yeah, man. Uh, and do you have a chair there that you you know eventually, if my questions wear you down here, that you'll be able to, or do you, you know, <laughs> you hang in there.
2: No, I got a couple bar stools here, so I do, I do. Okay.
0: <laughs> so last night in the Rangers game, Max Scherzer winds up walking off. The Rangers win the game. But I think uh, at this point with Shirzy, you just never know, right, with bicep, or are you confident that he's going to pitch?
2: Well, what he said, is going to have an MRI, so we'll see what happens. It's a scary thing at his age. He knows his body so well. That'd be a huge blow to the Rangers who, have, you know, finally got out of their funk they were in. And now, uh, you know, back in the race, I'd, I'd love to see them in the playoffs. I'd uh, love to see Bruce Bochy back in uh, postseason, you know, like you would. Uh, so hopefully they get back in there. Uh, now they're starting to get guys healthy, and hopefully Scherzer can still pitch.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Whenever teams get aggressive, you know, we in the media always applaud them, and I think rightly so because, you know, in this era in which you see a handful of teams tanking every year, uh, you've got the the Rangers from beginning of last winter, really the, the previous winter where they are making it clear that they were going to do what they could to get the, get into the playoffs. But when you look back at, uh, you know, what they've done in the last year, they've taken a lot of risks on guys with long injury history. And, you know, the old saying in baseball, you know, the biggest uh, predictor uh, for, you know, future injuries are past injuries. And they kind of blew past that in in some of the choices that they made.
2: They did. You know, and, uh, you know, Evaldi's been, uh, you know, injured uh, over the course of his career. But, you know, he got injured again this year. They weren't the same without him. You know, now he's back. Yeah, obviously not going to them for another year. Uh, took those gambles, you know. And some of the big free agent things have turned out. A lot of these free agents don't turn out. There is did with both Seager and Simeon. Uh, so you know they're you know they're all in. So it's nice to see a team get rewarded. That's you know going to be aggressive the trade deadline, aggressive in the free agent market.
0: In the end, do you think they wind up making the postseason in this race where it feels like it's basically you know three teams for for two spots?
2: I do. I think they edge out uh, Seattle Mariners. I still think really? Seattle made a mistake by trading away Seawald. You know, you trade away your closer, and they have lost about seven or eight games now in uh, late innings. I and mean, they almost traded away Chaska Hernandez or listening other things. So they weren't really going all in. They just, but, you know, by trading away their closer, you know, we saw that you know uh, hurt them a couple of years ago when they traded Kendall Grayman to Houston. Disastrous, obviously, with the Milwaukee Brewers last year with Josh Hader. Uh, It's it's tough just to get rid of a closer and think you can survive.
0: So, yesterday we get word that the Mets have hired David Stern to be their president of baseball operations, a really expensive investment. You know, I had one uh, executive, and I don't know what David Stern's going to be making with the Mets, but I had an executive with another team ask the question is the Mets are going through this process? You know, would they be willing to pay Stearns at the going rate for someone in his uh, with his experience, and success of seven to ten million dollars? Um, I, I guess you know, it's interesting. I talked to someone in the Mets organization yesterday about the last month and how the Mets have kind of slogged along a little bit. And that Steve Cohen's perspective is, I don't know if I don't want to watch this for two years, so he's being aggressive here, right? He's kind of going, this is like. Getting David Stearns is like him going out and getting Scherzer and Verlander for the pitching staff.
2: Yeah, it's like the worst-kept secret in baseball. I mean, everybody knew that he was going to end up there. Uh, you know, Cohen wanted him badly. And the other owner said he's going there. It's funny, the trade-down line, it, it also look like had his uh, you know, fingerprints all over it. You know, by trading Scherzer, by trading Verlander, by shopping Pete Alonso. Uh, it's almost like, hey, these are moves that David Stearns will be making. So, yeah, I got to think he's making at least, you know, over $30 million. That's a going rate for, uh, you know, prized executives. So, you know, I think Steve Cohen is saying, wait a minute now, this guy built a uh, perennial contender with a small payroll. You know, what can he do with us who have a huge payroll? So I think it's a great hire. Uh, I think this guy's has to be right back in it in, in about two years.
0: And as you reported yesterday, he's getting a five-year deal. Uh, it, it's interesting because some of the reaction around baseball was, boy, he did not end on good terms necessarily with the Brewers. Uh, they could have held it out a little bit longer. Yes.
2: Yeah, they could wait till the uh, end of the season, so it ain't left the trade deadline. I think Markantino was you know a little irritated a couple of years ago when he blocked Stearns from going or, or interviewing. And, uh, you know, the Stearns obviously wanted to be interviewed. I uh, wanted to look at other opportunities. Now, last year, you know, you hear different things. The Josh Hader thing blew up in their face. We heard uh, Mark Antanasio was very upset. Hey, you should have a better read about your clubhouse. I mean, that clubhouse melted down. And they, they never should have traded Hader. They should have known the repercussions of the trade line. And when you have a guy like, you know, Devin Williams, who's, gonna be this, who's a setup guy, now he's going to be the closer, making big-time money. And when he's uh, more upset about it than anybody, you've got some problems. So who knows if there was a fallout there. But right when the season ended, Stearns was the one who said, yeah, I just want to be consultant now, strip away my
0: title. So it's interesting to me because obviously in getting David Stearns, you're getting someone who has experience running baseball operations. My sense after watching Cohen work for a few years that, in effect, he is the head of baseball operations. Uh, it, it feels like because he's more involved than a lot of owners are where, you know, they, they, uh, you'll see general managers, you'll see head of baseball ops essentially take rep recommendations of the owner that are going to be rubber stamped. A lot of owners will keep away from it. I feel like that it's pretty clear Cohen's very much involved and he's just looking for, you know, guys who can help to steer him down the best path. Is that fair or do you think I'm overstating it?
2: I don't think he's involved as say a, a Jim Crane is with Houston. Uh, I think Atanasha is very involved with Milwaukee. So we'll see. Uh, I think the Pete Alonzo thing will be intriguing because I yeah. think if they do trade him, hey, you you know that's David Stern during the show. Uh, if they keep him, I'm one of his uh, Steve Cohen saying I'm not sure if I want that uh, backlash from the fans, the media, and everything else.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. You know, with Alonso, it's pretty clear from the fact that they didn't get a deal done last offseason. It's pretty clear they're miles apart in where wherever whatever talks they had, uh, and it comes down in in the in this era whether or not the the, the Mets organization values power numbers in the way that uh, you know Pete's camp is going to value it. So that that's going to be interesting to see what happens there, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with the San Diego Padres. They get blown out by the Dodgers last night. It's over. (laughs) They're not going to make the playoffs. What's next for the Padres, Bob? I think,
2: you know, I think they're going to let Bob Melvin go. And I think if they let Bob Melvin go, nobody's going to be happier than Bob Melvin. (laughs) I think that thing is just such a mess there. And I think Bob Melvin will end up managing somewhere next year. I really do. I think Ryan Flaherty will be the next manager there. Uh, You know, just like four different managers that A.J. Preller has had. Uh, the owner, Peter Sadler is very close to Preller. Preller's got a contract in 2026. But I think this will go down as the most entertaining team in baseball history, not just this season. I think it's just a disaster what happened there. There's no, there's no team that's ever had this kind of talent in you know, performing this well individually, be this bad.
0: So you mentioned about Bob Melvin. I agree with you. I think one way or the other, they have to figure that out because the relationship there is not great uh, between the front office and between Bob what uh, what teams could you see Bob landing with next year? We know that there was talk before the Mets hired Buck Showalter the last round that maybe the the Mets would be a, a possible landing spot for him.
2: He likes New York, yeah. I mean, I could see that if something happened here in Boone, I think Boone's safe. But if something happened there, uh, I could see him going there. Uh, you know, hey, why not Milwaukee? I think Craig Council's stepping down. Uh, why not go there? Why not go to uh, Cleveland? Replace Francona. There's some good job opportunities uh, open this year.
0: All right, Alec Manoa uh, is not going to pitch again for the Blue Jays this year. We've gotten word that he's gotten getting some testing on his knee and other parts of his body. But the part that you know, just doing reporting the last couple of days, and I think Ben Wagner, who the uh, Blue Jays broadcaster, was the first to detail the fact that basically Manoa was sent down the minor leagues. He disagreed with it, and he never, he basically was never. Involved with the AAA team. And I just, you know, and what I heard yesterday and the day before, and doing some reporting on this was man, Alec Manoa, he was faced with the same circumstance that so many players have. They get sent down to the minor leagues and they might be upset about the decision, but eventually they report and they go about the work of trying to prove the team wrong. I don't know what what good it would do for Alec Manoa to not go down and pitch in triple A and begin the process of trying to work his way back. What'd you make of all that?
2: Yeah. I mean, interesting. I mean, why didn't Toronto, uh, you know, step down and say, Hey, you don't show up. You're not getting paid. You're going to lose your entire contract here. We're going to suspend you. So, you know, who's running the show here? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure why they allow this. Uh, obviously, you know, the soft season is going to be big. You know, do they trade him? Do they try to get his head right. You know, what kind of value does it have? But I can't believe he just refuses to go. And then he gets paid at the same time. Uh, it's been a mess. It's amazing what a drop off it's been. It kind of reminds you of the uh, what was it Romero years ago when he was right. going good. Yeah, just fell apart. It, this reminds you of the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I think there is a perception around the the Blue Jays. I know some players uh, there who believe that to some degree that the the players have too much autonomy. That there needs to be a, a harder a harder response from the organization and a higher standard in terms of how they go about their business on a daily basis. Uh, You reported earlier this week that the angels are going to be open to talking about Mike Trout. uh, If Trout were to bring them the, the, you know, the idea that he might want to get traded. Some of the feedback I got Bob after your report came out the other day from teams was boy, he would be a hard guy to trade because as you know, he's missed over 200 games the last three seasons Uh, He should be unanimous selection for the Hall of Fame when he becomes eligible, but at age 32 and with about $250 million owed to him over the next seven years, if the Angels would move him, they would have to eat a ton of money, yes? No, I'm with you. It
2: certainly doesn't have the same trade value. We'll see if he wants to go. It's entirely up to him. He's told reporters a couple weeks ago, I want to talk to front office. So if he wants out, they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll see what's out there. But you're right. He's got you know about $250 million coming over seven more years. He's missed so much time the last few years. He needs to have a full season just to uh, you know regain his uh, trade value if he wants to go. And I, I don't think he wants to go. I mean, he decided to stay in the first place. He's very comfortable there. I just think he's frustrated right now by him giving out those comments like, let me talk to the front office.
0: All right, I've been saying on the podcast in recent weeks that I think the Braves and the Phillies are, you know, the, the Phillies are the most dangerous team to the Atlanta Braves. And Brian Snitker, their manager, was quoted yesterday that the Phillies scare the heck out of them. But another team that uh, you think should scare the heck out of everybody, the Milwaukee Brewers. How come?
2: Just with that pitching, you know, I, I, you know, we saw it these last three days. You know, I mean, Gordon Bird should have had a no-hitter. Uh, Brandon Woodward had a nine-inning shutout. You know, Freddie... For all to pitch lights out, you know, three of them was was like an 0-3 ADRA, and uh, that's what you know. That's how you win the play, in the playoffs. I think if there's one sleeper team out there, one team that could knock off Atlanta potentially would be them. And of course, they got you know uh, Williams, Devin Williams in the bullpen as they're shut down closer. So that team scares me. Philadelphia, I mean, obviously they play the game hard. They play the game right. I uh, saying the other day, if uh, if the San Diego Padres. Had the Phillies make up in character, they would have won 110 games this year. Yeah, but yeah. Phillies are you know what's about. I love being around that team. It's kind of old school, old soul team, and man, they play hard.
0: Yeah, and I love you know it's fun to, during this Phillies and Braves series. You could tell the respect between the two teams. You know, I love that scene the other night when uh, was it uh, Matt Olson hit the home run, his 50th, and it was Kyle Schwarber who went out and did the negotiating for the for the suit for the ball you know, going and coaxing a fan into into trading, you know, ball for ball. That was, uh, you know, you can feel that. If that series were to take place, uh, you know, in the National League Championship Series, Division Series, whatever it is, that would be epic.
2: It would be. I mean, two unbelievable fan bases. I think last year, uh, you know, Philadelphia caught Atlanta by surprise there. They had the layoff. Uh, you know, Atlanta, you know, let's see about that starting rotation. We'll see a little bit about that bullpen, too, is shaky. Of course, the Phillies bullpen is shaky as well, but yeah, I mean, two teams, two great fan bases, and uh, when you look at Phillies. I mean, guys like Bryce Harper, Schwarber epitomize what Phillies doubles all about—just that blue-collar work ethic is a is perfect place for both those guys.
0: And the Braves just rolling along. They keep hitting homers. It looks like they don't have a real chance to break the all-time home run record for any team, which is three oh seven by the the two thousand nineteen Twins. All right, Bob, good to talk with you as always. My pleasure. Thank you, Buster. Take care of yourself. You can now stream the most MLB games on TV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on TV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxydectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Ben McDonald is an analyst for Orioles games as well as for college games on ESPN. Ben, how you doing? Doing good, Butcher, how are you? I'm doing great. And back in the day, I covered Ben when he was with the Orioles. He was on that team in 1995 when Cal Ripken uh, broke Lou Gehrig's record. Uh, and I must tell you, Ben, that the producer of the show, Taylor Schwenk, one of the producers, uh, he is a huge Orioles fan. So a lot of times mm. when I do some of these interviews, you know, I he, he won't send me notes because he figures that I got it. Today, knowing that you're coming on, He's got some major notes he sent me. It was like three pages long.
1: Okay. He's got his he's got you prepared, ready to roll, huh? I yeah, couldn't have you 100%. flying blind, Buster.
0: Well, and, and and the first uh line that he has for me, question to ask you, what's the most dangerous animal you think you could catch with your hands?
3: Oh wow. The most dangerous um I think an alligator's gonna be towards the top of the list because I've done that a few times. And uh yeah, how, it, how it long can go are those wrong. alligators? <laughs> It could go – I think the biggest one I ever caught barehanded was just shy of seven seven feet. Uh, and that's a pretty big one for uh, for barehanded, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, that's uh, – I caught an armadillo recently. Everybody made a lot to do out of But it's not much danger with the armadillo. It's just they're very hard to catch. I mean, they're low to the ground, kind of like Robert Newhouse back in the day. You know, they could really go uh, <laughs> low to the ground. And so, yeah, I, I always like catching up and sneaking up on certain things to catching them.
0: All right, I got to hear the story about catching the seven-foot alligator. But before that, you, you mentioned Robert Newhouse. It's so funny. Last year, Joe Girardi was talking, uh, before he was let go by the Phillies, was talking about one of his players, Gene Segura. And he looked mm. at us in, in a group, and he goes, you know, he kind of reminds me of that old running back for the Cowboys, Robert Newhouse. And you, you knew exactly <laughs> what he was talking about, right? I thought yeah. it was a perfect comp.
3: Yeah, but, yeah. I, you know, I people always say, man, you're from Louisiana. How could the Cowboys be? Your favorite team, but as a kid when I was growing up, the Saints were so bad, and really the next closest team were the Cowboys, and I just fell in love with Stallback and Darsett and Billy Joe Dupree and Ed Tuttle Jones and Randy White and all those guys. Robert Newhouse that that became my team, and obviously there's not been a lot to cheer for uh, about the Cowboys in recent years. So it's a good start to the year. We'll see what happens.
0: All right, uh, what would compel you to jump on a seven foot alligator?
3: You know I. To be honest, it's just something we grew up doing years ago, buddies of mine, it began in junior high and on into high school where uh, we'd go out night on a boat uh, around the duck camp and uh, out on the river in the bayous where we grew up, Um, and we weren't the first ones to do it. Obviously, our dads before us started doing these kinds of things, and we just started trying to catch alligators, and look... Never the big ones, right? I mean, they get really big. They can get 12-foot long down in Louisiana, and that's not the kind you mess with. But we grew up catching anywhere. You know, the two-footers to up to seven-foot were the ones. and It was kind of like of a challenge kind of thing. You're riding around at night. you got the two-beam spotlight, and the eye, an alligator's eyes go red at night, like they, they're ruby red at night. That's how you know it's an alligator. So you just kind of ease up on them in the boat. You get them the bow of the boat. An alligator gets in shallow water at nighttime. That's when they're typically feeding. They're more of a nocturnal animal. And so we would just jump off the boat and catch them and take a picture with them and let them go or whatever. And so it's just something we grew up. Now, obviously, when sports became a figure for me kind of in high school and I started excelling at basketball, baseball, football, and on into college and, of course, with the Orioles, I did cut back a lot of that craziness stuff. I'd go with my buddies. I still would catch occasional, but not like they did just for the obvious reason. Cause I did have a buddy one time I accidentally missed one, an alligator tried to get away and it bit him on his arm. And he took like oh. 68 stitches. We had to bring him to the hospital. The night, and I went, well, oh, you know, I better, I probably shouldn't be doing this as much while I'm playing baseball, you know? And so that's really how it began. And it's something that, uh, I guess has just been passed along, uh, from our fathers and probably their grandfathers before them.
0: Man, jumping into into the water after a gator at night, okay? Yes. Something, I tell you this, never did that growing up on Vermont, never thought about this. that would be something that I would want to do. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's talk about the Orioles. They are 91-53. They're four games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays in the loss column. They got a real shot to win 100 games this year. Uh, how surprised are you that they are this successful this quickly? A little bit.
3: Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's happened a little bit faster than most people thought it would. Uh obviously the Orioles won eighty three last year, won eighty three and, and eighty one and, and, and really got on, on the map I would say last year too. And I think most experts thought the Orioles would probably back up because that is generally what happens when you kinda overachieve one year. You typically most teams take a step back. But you know, Buster, and I think we talked about this before. I was in spring training and it was almost it, it almost felt like in spring training with these guys that 2023 was going to be a validation year. Like they were going to go out and validate what they did last year to show everybody that last year was not a fluke and that they did have a really good team. I don't think anybody thought we'd be talking about 91 wins this part of the season. I don't think anybody thought that, but I really thought the Orioles, in my opinion, would take a step forward and be better than 83 at the end of the year. I never saw potentially a hundred or 102 games coming, but look, it's been a pleasant surprise here in Baltimore. I mean, what can you say about it? And it, it's a, it's just a resilient bunch of guys. You know, everybody says, well, you don't have the 30 homer guys. You don't have the big giant pitchers and all that. But I always say the Orioles are really a sum of their parts in a lot of ways. And, and I explained the lineup to everybody as a chain. And, and that chain is long, but that chain is strong. Every link in that chain is very, very strong. And it's a lineup that's going to go out and, uh, you know, we all throw the term around. There are a bunch of grinders and this, that, and the other, and gamers that's really what the Orioles have, you know, and it starts with Gunnar Henderson and Rutschman and those guys towards the top that line up in Santander, and they just go out and perform every night, and I think it's evident what kind of team that they have. I mean, when you're Tops in baseball and comeback victories, you know, not only this year, but they had a lot of them last year. They, they learned how to win close games last year. They're towards the top in one-run victories this year, towards the top in a lot of different things. Comeback victories, they're towards the top, too. So, you I, know, I, and look, I'll give Brandon Hyde a lot of credit for this. He's had the pulse of this team, really. And we didn't know how good of a manager Brandon Hyde was early, right, three or four years ago when it was some rough times because everybody else was playing chess and he was playing checkers, I felt like. But now that he's got the parts to maneuver and move around, if you look at the platoon advantages, uh, you know, righty versus lefty, he's been able to mix and match a lot. and. The biggest thing for me, Buster, is hitting runners in scoring position. I think the Orioles were 23rd last year. They're number one in baseball this year. So they perform in the big situations. And so, look, it's been fun to watch. You can't explain baseball. It's obviously one of the lowest payrolls in baseball and yet one of the best teams in baseball. But that's what makes baseball such a wonderful game.
0: So you know how we writers, we love our narratives. Uh, And I feel like the Orioles are set up for a narrative in the postseason and that if they wind up getting knocked out, then you're going to have idiots like me saying, you know, that they just, uh, you know, first ta- first bite of the apple, they didn't have the experience of a team like the Astros, and if they survive it, it's going to be like, well, they they're, they have so little experience that that worked in their favor. They're just going out right. and, and not worrying about the pressure. Which way? In right. for this team projecting for them going into October. Well,
3: to your point, you don't know what you don't know. And this team doesn't know it's not supposed to be doing what it's doing. This team doesn't know that it's supposed to have, you know, that you got 91 wins right now, you're not supposed to be where they are. I think they just go out and attack every game as we want to go out and win every game. We want to win every pitch. We want to win every at-bat. And, again, I'll give Brandon Hyde credit for this. He has kept this team looking and, and, and blinder focused on every game, not looking too far ahead, not thinking about where you are and what you're doing right now, just focus on every game. And so – I hope this continues. I mean, I I get worried when the postseason comes and the media and the bright lights, they get brighter. And I think that is a concern. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of reporters, a lot of different questions. And it gets this team kind of out of their groove, if you will, in some ways. But I don't know. I, I, I think James McCann and Gibson and the veteran players, Frazier that have come over, have really blended in well. And Mike Elias, look, everything Mike Elias has touched, man in the last three or four years has turned to gold. I mean, Danny Kouloum, who saw that coming? I mean, Cano has been a huge part of this, obviously. I was the one who had my hand raised last year, and the offseason going, what is Yan Yanir Cano doing? On our roster? He can't even throw the ball over the plate. Well, I was wrong in a big way. And where would the Orioles be without him, you know? And yes, there are some concerns when you lose Bautista and I know he's playing catch and they're trying to ramp him up and we're going to see what's going to happen, uh, with him. Obviously that that's a giant loss and and you can't replace that. But again, this bullpen is, you know, it's the number two bullpen in baseball as of today. It's really taken a, a step forward. It's been just as good, even without Bautista. We'll see how that transpires down the stretch, but, um, it's been a, a marvelous run for the Orioles, and I really think it's something that they continue, because back to your point, I, I think this team is so focused, they're not going to let anything unusual kind of get in their way. That's what's impressed me so much, and one of the many things is they've had this focus from day one in spring training. It's just like blinders, those horses with those blinders on, they have been looking in this direction the whole time. It's not getting out of
0: here at all. Well, you know better than I do that swing and miss really plays in October. You need a lot of that, especially from your bullpen. And losing Batista, that's a big blow. But I'd say this: like if the Orioles were to face a first round opponent like the Atlanta Braves or the Philadelphia Phillies or the Dodgers, then I would be worried for them. But obviously, they don't have to. Being in the other league, when I look at the when I look at the American League field. You've got, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are absolutely devastated by injuries, and the Wanda Franco not with the team anymore. Uh, you know, the Astros have had some issues with their bullpen. Seattle has been red hot of late but uh, or, you know, since the All-Star break generally, but they would have the same sort of experience questions maybe that the Orioles would have. The Blue Jays have taken some hits with their team. I don't look at the potential American League field as being this – group of uh, dynamic teams the way that I do the National League. Is that fair?
3: No. And that is a fair statement. I totally agree with you. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, obviously the Astros with a ton of experience, they could take off and really get going at any second. But they really haven't, you know. And, and I'll take you back to this, and you know this. I don't know if you viewers, The Orioles are the only team in baseball not to be swept this year. And, and so yes. it, it's, it's a team that has been consistent. They won a lot of first series ballgames. That's how they've won so many series, trying to win their eighth consecutive series. Uh, tonight against the Cardinals and so it's just a team that's been very very consistent and I agree with what you're saying I mean you lose Franco and 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 McClanahan for Tampa and yet they're still doing what they're doing I think if you go back and look the last what 22 games that these teams have the exact same record Tampa continues to win the Orioles do too and so I I love the Astros Seattle kind of really got it going and now they've fought a little bit I mean what's happened to the Texas Rangers I mean I don't follow it like you do but it felt like a month and a half, two months ago, they had the same record as the Orioles toward the top of the American League, and all of a sudden they're fading too. So it's almost like nobody's really stepped up to say, okay, we are the best team in the American League other than the Baltimore Orioles and Tampa right now. And they're just kind of running one-two right now and trying to run away with this. I still love Toronto's team. I love that offense. They scare me every time we play them because I think it's an elite offense. But the truth is, it just hasn't been consistent enough throughout uh, to get going. And of course, the Orioles have this big series coming up. Uh, with the Rays starting tomorrow night, you know, a four-game series, and it, it's going to be a huge series.
0: All right, before you go, last one for you. As someone who pitched in 211 games in the major leagues, you started 198. Uh, what would you think of the what the Mariners' George Kirby said last week uh, when he made a reference about, you know, he kind of wishes he wasn't in the game for that, uh, that last home run? As you know, those comments got a ton of uh, response on social media from former pitchers, I will tell you, and I said this on the podcast on Monday, I, I kind of, first off, he acknowledged, he said the wrong thing. He, in the way that he said it, he, it felt like he was kind of blaming his manager a little bit, and he acknowledged uh, that he made a mistake there. But I would also say to some of those older pitchers who I know, whether it's Jared Weaver or Roger Clemens, or et cetera, that responded like, well, you know what? That's the game these days. That's how these guys are being trained as starting mm-hmm. pitchers. What was your reaction?
3: You know this, you Sometime in the heat of the battle and right after you say things that don't come out the right way that you don't mean it was a frustration thing where you, I think he gave up the tie and home run or something, you know. And so I get all that. And, and, and to people's point, too, uh, I saw what Roger Clemens had to say. I mean, it is how we're training, unfortunately, on uh, training our pitchers these days, you know, and uh, to be five and die. We used to call it five and die, five and die, yeah. you know, and that's kind of where we are now. Um Certainly, it's not one of the things you want to say. And that was a criticism,
0: Ben. I mean, that that phrase right there was like the person who did the five and die was sort of a weak soul.
3: No, (laughs) that was the weak link. That was considered the weak link in your chain as your rotation because, you know, Greg Olson talks about this all the time with the Orioles when he came back the other day. He's like, we had five guys in the bullpen. We had five guys in the bullpen, Ben, when you guys were starting. But that, that was because me and Messina and Rick Sutcliffe were all going six and a third, six and two thirds every start, and so they didn't have to cover as much. It's different now. And I don't blame the pitchers so much as I blame where we're at. But what I don't understand, Buster, in a time that I feel like we're taking the best care and the most care, and we feel like we know more about our pitchers than ever before, it feels to me we got more and more pitchers being hurt every day. So I don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. I thought I had it figured out. I, I don't know that I do now. But certainly George Kirby, he didn't. That's something he probably shouldn't have said. And, and when you think about it, when you're in a race and you're trying to get the pennant race, you know, and you're trying to get into the playoffs, you want a guy that's going to be on the bump, and you got to pull him out of the ballgame. And so I, I see both sides of that argument. I feel bad about what he said because I know he took a lot of, of criticism for it.
0: All right, Ben. Always great to talk with you. I, I, I will tell you that, you know, as much as I love doing stuff outside, I will never jump, try to jump on an alligator at night in the water. Good Lord. Well, Buster,
3: you never know if you come down to Louisiana and hang out with me in the off season, maybe, maybe we have an adult beverage or two. Maybe we go try it. You know, what's the <laughs> worst thing that could happen?
0: What's the
1: worst thing that could happen? You might I get I could
3: bit. die. That's
0: what could happen. <laughs> bleacher tweets.
1: Alrighty, Buster bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. PK Steinberg. Starts off. The Orioles win Monday, eliminated the Yankees from the playoffs. So, what are the first three adjectives you can think of to describe how you feel about it?
0: So, PK, I'm going to streamline this for you. I'm just going to say surprise, surprise, surprise. Ooh, I like it. Okay, I, like it. I just it's a it's a giant surprise that the Yankees have struggled this much. I think we all I think we all thought that the Orioles would be a good team this year and that they might make the playoffs. But I think the Yankees being,
1: uh, you know, struggling as much as they have, that's been the surprise. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Debbie Gammons Brown, DGB, writes in: "This thing that happens with the Jets and Mets is worse than the curse of uh, the Bambino or the curse of Buster. Is though are those things worse? Um, probably not. Yes, know. Do you no think doubt." So? <laughs> no, totally the
0: curse of Bambi, the curse of me, which I, I guess that's referring to the Philadelphia Phillies. Anytime I say the Phillies are good, they lose a bunch of games.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, is that what
0: she's talking about? Given that so. she's living in Philadelphia, yeah. the Jets thing and Aaron Rodgers, my God, yeah, I mean that, that's brutal. That was crazy the other day how that happened, and for him to be out for the year. And by the way, I'm going to throw in my football analysis here. When people talk about who the Jets should go and get, I think they should go trade for Ryan Tannehill. Like Ooh. the Jets are too good. For me to just rely on a young quarterback if if they were a developing team I'd say you know what roll the dice stick with him no problem but they need a good safety and all these people are like go get Tom Brady well of course if you want Tom <laughs> yeah. Brady he's not coming back you know Colin Kaepernick he hasn't played in 7 or 8 years no Ryan Tannehill I think is available now he's a I he, you know he's a he's an okay quarterback uh, he's someone who certainly has had experience in the playoffs. Does that make sense to you? I think that's I a good. I
1: love that. That's great. Someone call, where's Hembo? We need to get you on get up. Like, call Mike Greenberg,
0: right? Oh, I there's, I, well, I actually texted that to Greeny yesterday. Oh, look that at that's you. That's the guy that they should go and trade because I know. I mean, we've talked about my son Jake. He's a huge Titans fan, so I'm keenly aware of the uh Titans quarterback situation. They yeah. got two young guys. Yeah. Like, they might be ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill. I think that's that would be a good pickup for the Jets. I love
1: that. Okay. There we go. Uh Matt Spiegel at Spiegs 1027 writes, and which major league baseball players are the biggest fans, read nerd baseball nerds like us of the sport.
0: Okay. So the guy that I learned about this year being a huge baseball fan is Kevin Pilar. Like Mm. I've had conversations with him where I feel like that we could drop Kevin into a, uh, you know, a segment where you talk about like 10 favorite ballparks to uh, 10 who are your 10 favorite players. And he would go boom, 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 boom. In fact, we ought to do that. You know?
1: Yeah. Let's, let's do that. I think, I think uh, he would have fun with that. Yeah. Let's, let's try and get him on. Uh, next, we got Brian Stoneking, our guy. He says, uh, late, but how does Council take Burns eight innings, take him out of eight innings in a no-no? Why does Burns let him? I just don't get not going after a once-in-a-lifetime chance because a professional baseball pitcher can't throw a dozen more. Manager and a player and the player need to man up. Brian, uh, it's baseball in
0: 2023. And on
1: top of that, I think
0: Council, I'm sure that he feels a responsibility to Burns given that Burns' free agency is not that far off, uh, and he's going to protect them. I mean, we've heard stories. story. David Cohn, after he threw this perfect game in 1999, which included a rain delay, was never the same. Uh, Johan Santana, 137 pitch, no hitter for the Mets, was never the same after that. I, I think Craig Council is going to protect the pitcher and protect his interest.
1: Mm, good uh, good anecdotes there, Buster. Steve Banton writes in, hey, guys, I was just wondering if you think this reviews as spot on as I do. Basically, that winning must not be taken for granted. Bernie's Redbird review Uh, headline from I don't know who Bernie Miklas is. I'm sorry, Bernie. Bernie Miklas. Yeah. He writes in the, the headline is the Orioles are a cautionary tale for the Cardinals. Don't take success for granted. And Bernie writes, you know, basically after winning a bunch, don't become the Orioles of the last 40 years. Bernie's
0: a terrific reporter. He's
1: t- incredibly insightful as a baseball guy, and, and I would uh, co sign anything that Bernie writes. There you go. Zach Beeson writes Buster, is it possible Wander Franco was a distraction in the clubhouse? The Rays are, have a six six seven winning percentage since he was placed on administrative leave and are way ahead of the first card in the wild, the first spot in the wild card. You know, we talked about this when
0: he was benched for a couple games that it was clear that Kevin Cash, you know, took that action probably, you know, in concert is too strong, but uh, with the, uh, with the, uh, you know, uh, quiet golf claps of other players on that team, I, I don't think there's any way it would have sat him down without understanding that it was important for him to do that, uh, you know, in the eyes of other players on that team, which is completely separate by the way from this other situation that Wander Franco's in. I would say this you get into the postseason in big games. Uh, you need great players. Wander
1: Franco, uh, Franco, when he's on the field, is a great player, and I, I think he's going to be missed. Last one for today, Matt Hempner at Matt the Stud writes in: Am I the only one who sees Artie Mar- uh, Moreno's comments about trading Trout as an attempt to remove accountability from himself and put the pressure on Trout to get out of town? He's faking a noble knee bending to hide how poorly he runs his team.
0: Look, I would never ask Bob Nightingale who his source is. Uh, you know that it's it's not right, and a it's not right, and b he would not give me the answer to that. But when I saw that report the other day, I thought that's the Angels trying to grease the skids to convince Trout to get out of town. What I don't think whoever, if in fact that's uh, you know who the original source was for for Bob, maybe it was uh, like a game of telephone where someone in the Angels organization told somebody that. Uh, you know, appear with another team who wound up telling Bob, uh, I I don't think that person understands within the Angels organization. Mike Trout doesn't have anything close to the trade value that he would have had three years ago. You're not going to get anything in return for Mike Trout, Taylor. I mean, did you agree with what I was saying? Yeah. Like, he's missed over 200 games the last three years, and I love Trouty. Of Uh, course. To me, he's one of the great players, but no team with him being owed $250
1: million, Thirty-two years old. No team is going to give him anything of real value. Do you think like they could really? They would really just like send him off for for borderline nothing. You know, like well, they'd have couple... to
0: give him away while eating money.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean? for sure. For
0: oh, sure. Fascinating.
1: I wonder how that. Yep. I can't wait to see how that plays out. It would be. I mean, just to see him on a new team in general. But you know, if a team's willing to come in and, and the Angels are willing to eat money and try and sign re-sign Shohei. What are they doing? Yeah.
0: I don't know. Well, I think probably, you know, Artie was thinking would be like, you know what? If we move Trout, it gives us a more money to, to go after <laughs> Otani. I just keep hearing this week from people who are saying that Otani's not going back to the Angels. And I don't know what the, you know, who the source of all that is, but it is interesting that people feel like Otani is, there's no chance he goes back to uh, Anaheim. We'll see. Well, thank all God right. they have That's Anthony
1: Rendone. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank God they have Anthony Rendon. Just making oh, wow. an Angels joke. Sorry. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's it for today. My thanks to Bob Nightingale, Ben McDonald, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.